to Way Back When with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy. Welcome to a Big Blend Radio's Way Back When History Show. I'm Lisa Smith, and today I'm excited to host a discussion about strong women in the American West specifically in Colorado. We have two authors joining us. One is Linda Ballou. You've heard her here on Big Blend Radio and also Pat Benedict Jurgens. And they're talking about their historical novels that really shine a light on two strong women out on the frontier. There's something about Colorado that has this wild spirit to it. And the women there are definitely strong. Um, so let's start with Linda. You know, you've seen her before here. And uh, Linda is the author of a number of books. She's a travel writer, world traveler. Um, but the one we're going to really focus on today is Embrace of the Wild. And uh, this was inspired by the explorer Isabella Bird. So welcome back, Linda. How are you? Oh, I'm fabulous. Thanks so much, Lisa. This is so much fun. It's exciting to have you, and I love this, that we're going to talk with two authors, I mean, to find two authors about Colorado and women in Colorado. There's something about Colorado, uh, so I'm very excited. We've got also Pat Benedict Jurgens, and she is the author, it's an award-winning author, because she just won the Colorado Authors League Award in Historical Fiction. Uh, she is the author of Falling Forward, A Woman's Journey West, and uh, her main character is Louisa, and she's going to tell us a little bit about that, but welcome, Pat. How are you doing? Thank you so much. This is great. It's exciting. Yeah. It is exciting. And you are actually in Colorado. So we're all a little jealous that we all love where we are. <laughs> we, we're jealous because it's it, is it going to be fall colors soon? Is it happening? Yeah, not yet, but probably by the third week in September, usually. Ah, see, it's coming. It's coming. It's beautiful when it happens. But everything is unexpected these days, you know things happen when they happen. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Everything is unexpected. I do want to give everyone websites out. So for Pat, keep up with Pat at patjurgens.com. And that's J-U-R-G-E-N-S, Pat Jurgens and Linda Ballou. Go to lindaballuauthor.com. And that's B-A-L-L-O-U. I'm just proving I can spell. But you know, we're talking about Colorado. So that's actually where I want to start. We're definitely going to get into why historical women and these women and who they are and why and how and where their spirit comes from, but both of you obviously have an affinity for Colorado. I know you're both world travelers. You're both writers of different things. Uh, Pat, I know you've done memoir and poetry. Linda's a travel writer, photographer as well. Um, but let's start with you, Linda. You've seemed to like have a thing about Colorado and also the West. Um, is it is it a connection back to your Alaskan roots? Do you think? Uh, not necessarily my Alaskan roots, but just the love of the great outdoors, which, of course, I have, you know, because I am from Alaska and I need wide open spaces, you know, and Colorado has certainly got that to offer. You know, I mean, my my I have a long distance love affair with Colorado and uh, I am a travel writer, but my first travel writing gig uh, was in Telluride. Colorado. And um, I queried a guest ranch there, Skyline, which is no longer with us, sadly, but it was just a phenomenal experience. You know, we were at 9,000 feet, the ranch overlooking all these 14ers. And uh, we did ride a 25 mile ride out on Lizard Head and camped out. I mean, it was, and there was an English woman there, Emma, who took us on these wild rides where we were actually jumping logs and Oh, it was phenomenal. It was just fabulous. And then I wrote this piece from that experience um, to ride among the clouds. And it was featured in Equus magazine. So I got the trip 
I got paid for my article and a notoriety and I was just hooked. This was my first travel writing gig, okay? So subsequently, <laughs> I've done numerous uh, guest ranches in Colorado. I love the, it, the scenery, the, it's spectacular. It just sets me free. I, I absolutely adore it there. And um, I did a Have Boots Will Travel piece uh, I was hosted by the Colorado Tourist Bureau, and that took me around the San Juan Skyway, which is a 125-mile loop, comes out of Durango and goes all the way up to Silverton, and uh, with stopping at Mesa Verde, and oh, I, I mean, it's just spectacular country, just beautiful. So that's where I met Isabella Bird, was in Durango, uh, and her book, uh, A Lady's Life in the Rockies. Uh, I, I had met her before. I'll tell you about that later. But uh, that was my second encounter with Isabella. And I was so enamored with her, with her writing, with her descriptions of Colorado. In fact, her description, she has uh, been dubbed the mother of the Rocky Mountain National Park because her descriptions of Estes Park and that region have inspired so many people to love the region and to go and be there. Uh, so, so yeah, that's um, awesome. You know, it's awesome also because of the horse riding thing too. I think being out outdoors, I know when you talk about riding, I want to tell you, she's got a horse on her front cover of, of Embrace <laughs> of the Wild, but um, it, riding is a big thing for you, horse riding and uh, horses and getting out there. And there's a lot of times you're hiking, you just wish, you know, I just wish I was with a horse yeah, right now. Especially there because of the altitude. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. So, Pat, over to you. You ended up moving there. So you weren't born and raised in Colorado, right? I was born and raised in the Northeast and uh, fell in love with Colorado when I was 15 on a family trip to the West. Um, I was sitting in the back seat reading Zane Gray novels while my mother was saying, oh, look at the beautiful mountain scenery. And I was just oh. going, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, but I never forgot that trip. So when I was 22 years old, um, after graduating from college, I decided that I wanted to go where my heart led me. And I came out to, to Denver, to Colorado, um, never looked back, um, never wanted to go back. Not that back was so bad, but, but Colorado was where my heart has been ever since. And I've been here now for 60 years. That's six zero. Yes. Oh, oh you really <laughs> got into it. Well, you, you're kind of used to the snow and then you've got four seasons. It's such an outdoor state. Yeah. It really yeah. is. And so you're used to that, but it's got this dryness that the Northeast and the Midwest, when that winter comes, there's, when, when we say cold, it, it really is cold and it gets really cold in Colorado, but it's a different thing, but it's, wild. And I think it's really exciting about the two of you writing about women. Um, and so Louisa, is she like a real person or an imaginative character, uh, Louisa, from Falling Forward, your book? I'm glad you asked that because it started out with my writing teacher asking me, Pat, everybody has a story. What's your story? And I started telling her about my grandmother. And my grandmother, who was raised Mennonite, married outside the faith. She was shunned. And, you know, I mean, that had been a family story that had come down to me, you know, over the years. So I started writing that as, as if it were my grandmother. But an interesting thing happened along the way, which is that Louisa evolved into somebody that was much different than my grandmother. 
And really, I felt like that all the grandmothers were talking to me. So I, I wrote in longhand in notebooks when I began this. Um, and this was way back in 2002, amazingly enough. Um, <clears throat> and I just kept my hand moving uh, as, the, um, as the writer instructor says, keep your hand moving and the story will emerge. And so this person emerged who was a, an imaginary character um, out of my grandmother's uh, first, uh, you know, uh, first experiences that I, um, that I wrote about. So it was really ex an exciting experience for me. I'd never written fiction before, had no idea how to do it, just start doing it. So I learned as I went and it took me quite a number of years to finally complete this project, but I enjoyed the heck out of it all along the way. <laughs> So this becomes more of a fiction than, you know, a biography of, yes. of your grandmother. But did she, she went to Colorado, you know, from Ohio to Colorado. Am I getting that part right? My grandmother actually, no, she didn't. Um, my grandmother actually went to California, to the okay. San Joaquin Valley. She went and, to go see Linda. <laughs> yeah, right. And, you know, she and her husband were going to do fruit farming. They were going to raise melons. Mm -hmm. You know, well, let's just say it ended badly. Okay. And my grandmother went home to Ohio, okay? But in this case, this is where Louisa took off. So okay. Louisa did not go home. Um, you know, perhaps shades of my own personal life, partly, you know, because the author always has some input into this. Um, so she continued on. And, uh, and so this is the story of her adventures in the West um, on her own, actually, because she lost her husband along the way. So it was a very challenging time for women uh, mm -hmm. back then. And even in the West, it was a very challenging time, even though women in the West, even at that time, had more say than, you know, than women, say, back East did. But they didn't have power. They, right. you know, they could talk a good, you know, they could, they could defend themselves, but they didn't have the power to, to change the patriarchy. So uh, part of Louise's experience in the West is learning how to um, live within that framework and, you know, make the most of who she is. Hmm. How does that compare with Isabella Bird, Linda? Because I know here you find her now, you're going to write about her. You've, you've seemed to gravitate towards these women of strength who basically defy the odds and say, you're not going to put us in a box. Right. Well, I'm drawn to independent women in history who have been overlooked or, in my estimation, not given enough due. And Isabella Bird was just an incredible woman. She was from England. She was born in England uh, and the Victorian age where once again, women didn't have much say. Women were not allowed in university. And uh, her father was an evangelical priest, a preacher. So she had a very strict upbringing and she was supposed to be selfless, to obey her husband uh, and to rear children and be, uh, you know, sit in the back seat forever. Well, unfortunately, Isabel wasn't interested in doing any of those things. But she had uh, other problems. And that is, is that she was essentially an invalid until she was 40 years old. So uh, I don't know whether I want you want me to go into all the details of why she was an invalid at this time, only to say that she picked herself up out of all of this 
you know, uh, and went on a sea voyage in 1873, left it all behind and uh, ended up in the Hawaiian Islands where she wrote a book called Six Months in the Sandwich Islands. And that is where I first met Isabella mm -hmm. because my first novel is uh, Wainani, A Voice from Old Hawaii, which is set in pre-contact Hawaii. Well, her book, her incredible descriptions. I mean, her writing is a bit uh, too uh, uh, flowery for modern readers. But for me, it was wonderful because she was describing pristine Hawaii. Uh, it was in 1873, there were some tourists that Mark Twain had been there and he'd written about the islands also. Uh, and some missionaries had you know, taken root there uh, but mostly the Hawaiian people were still very authentic, living, living authentic lives. Mm -hmm. And she joined in with them and she was with them and she rode with them and she became whole there. She brought her, uh, she reclaimed her body in the islands. Uh, because like I said, up until the time she was 40 years old, she was essentially uh, an invalid. Wow. So uh, she was just a phenomenal woman, and I admired her tremendously. And then when she gets to the Rocky, after Hawaii, she gets to the Rocky Mountains, she rides 800 miles solo <laughs> in the winter. <laughs> I mean, that's badass. Yeah. <laughs> that is. I mean, that's you think about it, you know, going on your own. And here we go, like, we need a heater in the car. You know? <laughs> you know? But this is interesting what you both said, you know, talking about the Mennonite and also like, you know, uh, you know, your grandmother going through that, this kind of, you know, life, you're supposed to do this and Isabella Bird, um, Linda also going through, you know, the father preacher kind of thing. And I wonder about this. So uh, I want to ask each of you this, Pat, do you think at the time, religion was also very male dominated. Like, oh, you know, absolutely. Uh, Particularly in the Mennonite faith, the men, uh, the men had, the men ruled. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, Louisa's father was an elder. And so he was very close to the bishop. And so he, he basically was almost like a clergyman. Mm -hmm. Another interesting aside is that Isabella, Isabella Bird, was a preacher's kid yeah. uh rocky mountain jim in your book was a preacher's kid and i am a preacher's kid <laughs> i know that you were naughty all i know is all the preacher's daughters were bad little girls yeah right they did they wanted to get out <laughs> yeah. yeah is that but the same isabella thing? bird inspired me too because i met isabella uh <laughs> in the 1970s at the ymca park the the ymca estes park y camp with my young family and they had a little library there which mm -hmm. i went and perused w one day and i found this book the lady's life in the rocky mountains and i took it back and started reading it and it was as you say linda a little a little uh, flowery um in terms of you know really trying to get to the meat of things she, um, but it was fascinating. And the fact that she rode solo, mm -hmm. I was blown away. So I think Isabella Bird actually inspired Louisa as well. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> interesting. She was oh, interesting. quite a gal. <laughs> so do you think she was also running from the religious aspect too, Linda? I know you touched on that a little bit before. Yeah. I mean, 
it was that not just the religious thing like i said i mean she was a a writer and uh she, she had a, a an aunt who also broke away from the religious thing and gave her a little role model to get out of this situation because she wanted to have her own money she wanted to be independent and uh this aunt barbara uh, was quite a character, and she encouraged uh, Isabella to to write and uh, to do it under her name, not a name, which was very common in those days for women to hide the fact that they were writers, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it wasn't just the church that she was running from. It was all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the main thing, the main thing, and I got to talk about this because the main thing with Isabella Bird was the fact that the doctors just destroyed that woman's body. She had carbuncles on her spine and they operated on her several times without anesthesia, <laughs> mind you. And then they would uh, bleed her with incisions and with leeches. Ooh. Yes. And then uh, on top of that, they overdosed her. They gave her laudanum, which is a form of opium, cannabis, and they encouraged her to drink copious amounts of alcohol. So as a result, this woman was fried. I mean, she was so depressed. She was, you know, really beaten down. And in the end, what they did to her uh, in her late 30s, was they put her in a, a metal brace to help her hold herself erect, which, of course, would do just the opposite because your muscles would atrophy. You wouldn't get better, right. you'd get worse. And uh, so over the years, uh, she had just turned into a, a bedridden invalid. And, and as I say, at the age of 40, she kicked her habit, so to speak, you know, <laughs> Got up out of that bed. <laughs> Put the drugs got, and the booze got, down. Got on that. Well, she was drinking like wine at 11, beer at noon, wine at 2, another beer. She was drinking like six glasses of alcohol a day, plus all these drugs. So she was an early, uh, you know, uh, opioid overdose victim, you know. But she got out of it. She got out of all of it. God bless her, you know. What mm. a spirit. And. You know, like I say, when she went to Hawaii, uh, have you ever heard of Lomi Lomi Massage? It's the Hawaiian healing massage. I did a piece called Healing Hawaiian Holiday. And I got to have a a Lomi Lomi Massage by a a Hawaiian elder, uh, Kumu. Oh, my God. It's so uh, releasing, not just physically, but spiritually. So she, she found a spiritual center in Hawaii, not just, you know, that wasn't based on any religion necessarily, but it was the connection with nature and, um, you know, sensuality, being able to experience her senses because the Victorian women had to wear those corsets and oh my God. sit up straight and, you know, be ladies. And, uh, and she kicked all it. She blew all that out. <laughs> That's uh, you know, yeah, all right. That that's amazing because you think about it, it's almost like when when people are giving you drugs like that, they have control over you in a weird, creepy way. It's a right. it's a really you know, and to be able to somehow find cognizance and and kick all of that, like you said, that's a huge challenge to overcome. I want to ask you, Pat, uh, in challenges for Louisa, tell us a little bit more of her challenges that she's overcome. Well, you know, the restrictions in the Mennonite community were one thing, but once she left there, 
uh, with her husband and went to California, uh, tragedy struck, and, um, and she found herself a widow. Um, so, so now she is faced with no money, being uh, without a man, which in those days, you know, was a pretty key thing economically. Um, and she has two small children with her. So um, she needs to, to decide or determine how she can make a livelihood and, um, and provide for herself and for her family. And what she does is what women all, the, you know, all through the ages have done. She makes do, and that's how she starts. She makes do by taking what she does well and using that to create a livelihood for herself. And the Mennonite women were all great bakers. They, she knew Anspei dry cake. She knew uh, Kuchen, the mm -hmm. German bread of the homeland. Um, she knew all about how to bake all that because she had had to take over for her mother when her mother died. So um, her idea was to start a bakery very unusual idea for a woman back then. I mean, maybe they would have baked out of their homes, but, um, but she had more ambitious thoughts. And so she uh, found a way to, um, actually when it got to this point, she was by this time in Golden, Colorado. Mm. So I didn't know she was coming to Golden, Colorado. This is part of the magic of fiction. <laughs> uh, but when she showed up in Golden, um, she and I went down down to the town, which is only about 30 minutes from where we live, and looked around, took a look around to see if we could find a place for Louisa to live and find a bakery building that might suit, you know, and, um, and it was great fun. This is part of the whole research thing that I enjoyed so much was that she, um, you know, we found a, a little carriage house for her. I think it was the only carriage house in town from that, from that time period and uh, an old building that was still standing that would work as a bakery. And she also wanted to create a tea room um, so that ladies, so that women in the community could get together outside the home. Hmm. And that was another one of her um, great interests was helping other women um, know that they had the rights to, uh, to vote, which Colorado got the vote in 1893. So, um, in the early 1900s, women could actually go to the polls. And by the way, it, Colorado was the first state where a public election allowed women to vote. So um, it was actually the second state that got the vote because Wyoming was the first. But the Wyoming governor decided in 1869 that, you know, that women could vote and actually it didn't become a state until sometime in the early 1900s. So Colorado was the first one. But Louisa wow. knew that not all the women were out there voting. They didn't know they could. They didn't know if their husbands would be okay with it. There, were, there was a lot going on socially in those times. And it was really, it was really interesting to research it and, and dig into the, the lives of the ordinary people. Um, and I just wanted to say one thing about that. Louisa, I wanted to write about a woman who was unknown, not a famous person, not a wealthy person, not somebody who was educated. So Louisa was of the working class and, um, and, 
and she was, nobody had any idea who she was. I, I really wanted to identify with that. She wasn't ordinary. I started out by saying she was an ordinary person, but she was not an ordinary woman. Um, you know, she had, she had great ideas and, um, and passion uh, for what, you know, for what she wanted in her life. Um, but it was, it was interesting to me to um, identify with this person who wasn't a person in history, really. Um, and she created herself in my book, really. This is neat, though, that you go to Golden and have that connection with her. It's like almost like oh, you're going to tea together. But this reminds me of why the, the you know women's clubs are now we have chambers of commerce and all these different things. But the women's clubs were so important in throughout history of women getting together, even for the rights of bathrooms. And I mean, there were so many reasons how women's clubs around this country were formed and tea parlors and everything were about being Lottie Daw necessarily. It was about that gathering and, and informing and educating each other and connecting that network that women are so good at doing. And Linda, I wanted to go to you about Isabella Bird because you are taking someone who's known, known maybe not across the world and not like, you know, what Madonna or something. I don't know. I was trying to think of a famous woman and it's really not who I wanted to bring up. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, but, you know, so it's, it's a select group of people who understand nature and history, especially Coloradans. Um, you know, but when you think about writing about her, but then putting in fiction, uh, tell us about that decision, okay. because it's uh, interesting well, what you both have done. Okay, well, that is a big decision, because uh, I was so bold uh, that I wrote this in first person. Okay, I am Izzy. For a year, I was Izzy, and I loved being Izzy, all right? But, you know, some people might think that that was uh, improper, you know, for me to, to do that, or, you know, how could I, you know, when she's famous for her writing? Well, uh, Paul McLean wrote a book called Circling the Sun, and she did that with Burl Markham's book, West Into the Night. She fictionalized it. She wrote it first person, and she filled in the emotions that Burl Markham did not put in her book for one reason or another. And I filled in Isabel's emotions, which her book is beautifully written, lovely, descriptive, but you don't get a sense of how that woman was feeling. For instance, when she is having surgery without anesthesia, I have her have an out-of-body experience. You know, she comes out of her body yeah. and looks down at the doctors operating on her because that's something a very common defense mm -hmm. mechanism when you're going through something that is just you can't you can't uh you know can't experience it so you leave your body i've had it happen to me and it's a very common thing also Especially when you fall off a horse <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it's as i say it's a defense mechanism that's mm -hmm. not uncommon so i i had that happen in the story and also, it was just rumored uh, that she had a sexual relationship with Rocky Mountain Jim, who go, he, she met in the mountains, okay, and he was uh, a mercurial character, and he was a, a drunkard, and he was a, a desperado in many ways, but he also had a, a, a gentlemanly Jim way about him, too. He was educated. He was a preacher's son, and he, he had had an education. So uh, in my story... 
she in fact does have a sexual scene with him and she's a 40 year old virgin she's a spinster i mean and i oh. had to feel that you know that has he said the spinster word spinster <laughs> in her day yes and uh so i felt if she actually had a sexual relationship with this man, it would have blown her mind. You know, it would have been very important experience for her. It could have been, it could have been traumatizing or it could have been liberating. Mm -hmm. And my story is liberating. And she's able to objectively determine whether or not that particular type of experience is going to rule her life mm -hmm. and her destiny, which it does for many women. Mm -hmm. And he did ask her. He did ask her to marry him. Hmm. Uh, but um, you have anyway. to read the book. Don't don't give it all away. Yes, yes, yes. Did, you have listen, to read the book. <laughs> I know about you. Linda does like to write love scenes or sex scenes in her book. Oh, she not does. Real graphic, not real graphic. No, they're good. They're good. You 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 know the first time I just sat up and with Wynani, I went, Linda. <laughs> I was sitting in my hotel room in Yuma, Arizona, and all of a sudden, why Nani's having wonderful, you know, relations there. And I'm like, Linda, but, you know, I had no idea. You know, I knew her more on the travel writing side, and that was the first uh, novel I'd written, uh, read of hers. So, Pat, um, does yours get a little racy, too? Does Louisa? Oh, yes. Oh, oh yes. There are places, you know, now <laughs> Louisa is, you know, she's very focused and she, you know, goes after what she wants, but um, she has a little fling in the Grand Canyon mm -hmm. with a cowboy. I mean, who, who else, right? I mean, it's got to be a cowboy. And um, and she comes out of it unscathed, but, you know, um, sober, m much more sober about romance. Mm -hmm. um, and there are several other men in, in the book besides her husband who, uh, well, she gets accosted <laughs> several times. She gets, you oh. know, that wasn't, that's not nice. Um, and you know, I mean, she has to look out for herself because she's, yeah, that's, I, I wondered about Isabella bird traveling around by herself, but she didn't seem to get in any trouble, but Louisa got into trouble a couple of times. <laughs> mm. Well, this is important to discuss because, you know, speaking about these strong women, a lot of times, uh, if you read the, anything, even the movies of the wild West, right. Women are off either gun toting, you know, it, it just, you know, big nose take kind of people or, right, or it's, or you're going to be in the brothel and or in the laundry. That, that's your three things, right? And so there's that whole thing that happens, the Wild West, it's the bodice ripper kind of novel or story. Even the, the TV series Deadwood, it's like the women, you know, can we have a little bit more of stronger women? And there was, there was uh, some strong women, but there seems to be the, the body the bodice ripper seems to run rampant in the West in fiction. So I think what you're both bringing to the table is a balance of that and that women were more than, you know, being used for bodice ripping. <laughs> well, <that's, laughs> right. well, one of the things that I really, that really struck me in Isabella's uh, travels in Colorado is, you know, she, she, she would ride for a day and then there would be a light in the cabin and she'd just go knock on the door and she'd, you know, say, can I sleep here tonight? And, you know, it was the way of the West to, to say yes, because, you, you know, when no one's going to sleep and let you sleep in the snow. So uh, it was the Western hospitality. So she would sleep 
with children, but I remember uh, one, one uh, cabin was filled with men, uh, uh, sort of dastardly looking types. And uh, because she had a very strong intellect, she scared them, you know, basically, you know, and she also slept in the stable instead of sleeping in there with them. Uh, and I remember she was riding with Comanche Bill. I mean, she would meet them on the intellectual level. And I don't think she was, you know, ever, uh, I mean, Jim is drawn to her because she's a refined woman and educated. It's not to do with her body at all. Uh, hmm. So, Well, both of these women have a life of their own. That's the part that I thought was so, you know, uh, so, gri so gripping and so mm -hmm. important. Um, mm -hmm. And they really were not submissive to men, although they were attracted to men, no doubt. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was, that was really different back then because women were tended to be much more submissive because that's who they were expected to be. Um, hmm. Yeah, that there's a, that's what I think what's so great about their stories is that you're, you're balancing that out and letting that freedom and that's part of it, you know, embrace of the wild falling forward. Oh, falling. It's like, there's that saying about fall forward fast, you know, get it over yeah. with because you're going gonna to happen. <laughs> I love both of your titles. Um, you talked a little bit, Pat, about, you know, the research and actually going to Golden, Colorado, looking for that. Um, let's talk about the research prospect. Let's start with you, Linda, on that. Um, obviously, you've read Isabella Birds, uh, you've traveled, but getting into the history and then balancing what you want as well with the research. Um, this is the truth. This is my fictional. Here's the emotion. Here's the bodice ripper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the research well, process. Well, of course, I, I wrote, I read about her early days. I mean, there have been many, many books written about Isabella Bird, and but they're all that I, I know about are uh, documentary types, you know, fact, factual, hmm. whereas mine is definitely fiction. Um, and in my research, one of the things that I found uh, out about was called the Sand Creek Massacre. And it really disturbed me because it was a, a, a battle outside of Denver that got swept under the rug. And it was a very important battle because Chief Black Kettle, who was the head of the tribe, was a peace chief. And he was trying very hard to live with the white men and try to work it out. And, uh, and the, the, uh, the, the army just wouldn't have anything to do with it. They were, they were, they were in it for extermination. And this just bothered me. So I took the uh, opportunity to put uh, Rocky Mountain Jim in that place, in that battle. That's part two of the book. Mm -hmm. And I did it for a couple of reasons. One, because I wanted, to, I wanted to tell that story. I wanted to put a spotlight on that piece of history that had been, as I say, shoved under the rug until about 2005, where they made a national monument. But anyway... Um, I also did it because I wanted him to have a backstory that made him a little bit more lovable because <laughs> he was basically an alcoholic, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's hard to, you know, and he was, you know, I won't say filthy, but he was slovenly. You know? That's a good word. <laughs> uh, so I gave him a background that I felt would make him more uh, acceptable to, 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 to a reader to, to find him attractive and sympathize with him, make him more, uh, you know, someone that we could care about. 
And uh, so I did that. That was part of my research and part of how I fictionalized this story. Mm -hmm. And I wrote it in three parts, which is another unconventional thing. I'm pretty unconventional <laughs> myself, you know. And uh, so the first part is her in Hawaii, where she learns that riding astride instead of riding side saddle corrected her posture and her back pain. Mm -hmm. And that she could ride for days. So she was totally liberated with that. And, uh, and then I go to Jim's backstory and then they meet. And, and when they meet, now we know why they're soulmates because of their creature, you know, the, the church and uh, the moving away from society. And the most important thing in all of my writing is that nature can be our salvation. Mm. And both of these characters find that in the third part. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So over to you, Pat and Louisa, the research for her. I mean, this goes from your family to now you're creating. So did you travel other parts of Colorado? Did you read like, what were they doing back then? What was your research like? Um, I did travel. Um, I went to um, Mennonite country in Ohio. Um, and really I, and I also went to the San Joaquin Valley in California. Mm. I went to the Grand Canyon where there is um, our little uh, fling episode. And, um, and of course, Colorado, I'm, I'm, I'm here. So I've, you know, there were a lot of places going up into the mountains in Colorado and I'm a nature lover. I've, I've always been a hiker, you know, a skier, um, you know, I love the outdoors, a camper, so, you know, this was, you know, my love of the mountains uh, contributed to Louisa's draw to the mountains. Mm -hmm. And, um, <clears throat> and so there are, there are scenes that are, you know, that are here in Colorado um, that, you know, were really fun for me to write. Mm -hmm. uh, so I did go to different places. Um, I even went to uh, Fresno, which <laughs> will actually... <laughs> Actually, uh, Louisa, um, what is the name of that? Uh, Raisin City. Raisin City mm -hmm. was the place that Louisa went to. And Raisin City, when my husband and I got there and looked around, it's, you know, essentially a fruit growing country, but it's rather bleak. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, he said, I see why Louisa left. <laughs> anyway, she didn't stick around there. Um, so anyway, I traveled. That was fun. The thing I didn't do and haven't done yet, because it wasn't possible back in that time, and that's what I had to find out, was I wanted to take the California Zephyr from mm -hmm. Denver to California. But guess what? Back then, the train didn't go over the Rocky Mountains directly from Denver. It went up to Wyoming, and it crossed the Continental Divide at the mm -hmm. western edge of Wyoming. So I never, I haven't made that trip yet because it wasn't in the story. <laughs> yet. Yeah. Oh, so is there a part two coming? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was fun. Um, I spent a lot of time in libraries and museums. Um, there uh, is the Western History Collection of the Denver Public Library, which is bar none, the greatest uh, research collection, I think, in the West. And um, I spent a lot of time there. 
Um, and also down in Golden at the DAR Museum, pouring over, well, maps. I poured over maps of roads and trails and, um, and tried to figure out, had to figure out how they would get by train in 1906, I guess it was, from um, a place in Ohio to Chicago and out to the West Coast. I just loved that. I think I must have been a cartographer in a former life or something. Uh, I'm uh, with you on maps. I'm addicted to <laughs> maps. And and I think that's it. also really interesting is uh, going with Isabella Birdside with maps. You know, when you think about horse riding back then, your maps versus what we have now, think about GPS now, which I feel like we use it and we need it, but we miss that sense of where we're going. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So and there, I was going to say, oh, go ahead. sorry. The, the kinesthetic um, attraction to the land was just really important. Like my reaction to Raisin City was kind of like Louisa's. Um, no, thanks. I'm leaving. <laughs> but well, the, the, um, the reaction to, um, to the Grand Canyon was just awesome. And also, I mean, it helped me write by feeling the land and feeling the mm -hmm. landscape and the openness of the West has always been something that has been so key to my, um, my love of it. Uh, the openness, both from the people here and, um, you know, everything wasn't cut and dried here. Mm. Everything was possible here. And I think that's why I grew to love it. And that's so, why Louisa grew to love it. Isabella took the train ride from San Francisco to Cheyenne, Wyoming. She took that train ride. Oh, and, interesting. Yeah, and I wrote about that. It's in there. She stops in Tahoe. And uh, when I was doing writing the story, she does the 800-mile mountain tour. So I had to really study the maps and the roads to, to see that I was being true to where true, she right. was geographically. Yeah. And also, I went to Sylvan Ranch where she stopped. Uh, they say she stayed there. I stayed there. Uh, and there was a man there who was a historian who, you know, I spent the afternoon with. He took me out on the trails that supposedly she rode. And then I went to Rocky Mountain National Park, of course, and Estes Park. And I just I just had a piece come out in the uh, Estes Park um, Gazette about being on the road with Isabella Bird. So I did a lot of physicality, too. But I also want to mention that the first part of the book is in Hawaii. I, I spent 20 years researching for mm. my novel. And I went to, I think, all of the places that she described in Six Months in the Sandwich Islands. So, I mean, I really have been shadowing this woman. Why? Because I identified with her so strongly. Mm. Now, my travel writing career didn't start until I was 40. I had an injury. It turned my life around. I had to break through a lot of social barriers and, and have a strong conviction to become a travel writer, to say I was a travel writer. And she was the best loved travel writer of her day. And back to the relationship with women, her stories, she had her sister, Henrietta, who actually edited all her stories and got them published. And Isabella would write handwriting. I got her uh, letters from the Denver Library. Unfortunately, the writing was so small, I couldn't read it. It wasn't legible. But I now have this book, uh, Henrietta's Letters, that are some of the things that 
weren't in her books, which is really mm. interesting. I wish I'd had it before I'd written it, but you know, it, it, it is what it is. <laughs> and uh, the fact is she had an, an intensely close relationship with her sister. Uh, you know, it was the womanhood that supported her along with that Aunt Barbara, remember? So she, she, the women uh, do help one another. And yeah. um, they had a very special, very special relationship. I love that part. You know, Louisa, you know, Linda's talking about how she has that connection uh, with Isabella. Did you have a connection? You know, you said a little bit, it's in you too. It's like, it is your family, but it's fictional. Do you see yourself in Louisa? Well, other people have told me that they see me in Louisa. <laughs> you don't like Fresno. <laughs> she doesn't like raisin. She doesn't like raisin. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that, I think this is what's so great about it is because women are still on a, I, I you know, this is strong women is, a, is an important thing. We need to continue with shining the light on these women, fictional or not, uh, to remember that we do have that power and strength to do what we want to do. Um, so long as it's nice, you know, don't kill people, you know, it's, it, do, do what we deserve right, uh, in life is to have that freedom to follow our dreams and uh, do what we feel we want to do in life. And I think it's still very important that we look at what history, because uh, things right now to this day uh, that are historical, uh, positive changes in history have been revoked. It's happening. So it's very important that yeah. we learn from history and realize the importance of women connecting together as a family to make those uh, decisions for women by women. And um, so I really hats off to you both for writing about these incredible women, uh, because it really is a way for us to connect. You were talking about emotions. And um, I think that's something when you watch a movie, read a book, listen to music, it's the emotion that helps you learn history, helps you learn what you need to learn. You need to have that emotion and that connection. And that's what good writing does. So hats off to you both for joining us too. Thank you. This has been so much fun. We could go on for hours uh, talking about women, but <laughs> it's been wonderful. Uh, it has really been a great conversation and I wish you both the best as you keep going. Uh, everyone, again, it's lindabalooauthor.com. Keep up with Linda. It's Embrace of the Wild. And for Pat Benedict Jurgens, it is Falling Forward, A Woman's Journey West, uh, A Woman's Journey West, excuse me. And you can go to patjurgens.com, and that's J-U-R-G-E-N-S. And, of course, keep up with us here at Big Blend Radio. We air Monday through Friday uh, from what, 4 p.m. Pacific time, 7 p.m. Eastern time. And if you're in Colorado, that's at 5 p.m. Mountain time, I do believe, if I can keep myself straight on that. Uh, but thank you both. It has been a wonderful conversation. Lisa. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.